Hi, this is Varun Haran, Principal Correspondent for Information Security Media Group in Asia. I have with me David Shera, who is the CEO at IC Squared, and we're going to be speaking a bit about India's capacity building problem and some recommendations that David can share with us from his experience as CEO in the past year. So, David, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with us. You're welcome. So, David, last year I met with Horde Tipton, and I know that you have succeeded him as the leader of IC Squared. So, can you please tell me a bit about yourself, your background, and what led you to this position? So, uh, about 25 years of experience in military and government positions in Coast Guard and uh, Department of Interior, where I met Hort. Worked with him on a number of engagements uh, there, Patent and Trademark Office and USDA. And so I spent a lot of time in different mission areas, uh, developing technical people, delivering on mission um, in the United States. And then I think Hort, as he thought that he might be winding down and getting ready for retirement, uh, tapped me to come in to be the COO, which gave me a couple years really to, to learn what IC Squared is all about. But I, I joined primarily to kind of bring that opportunity operating experience of, of developing people and being in the profession to the certification side of it uh, and, uh, and trying to make a positive difference in how the company runs operationally, improving how we can deliver services and products, but also trying to give back to the profession, but more on the operation side as opposed to education and certification. Okay. So we are having this acute shortage of skilled security professionals. And this is not just India, of course. India does have that problem as well, a big way. But you have this all over the world, right? And I gather that the average age of a security professional is somewhere in the 40s, right? So you have a lot of outflow happening from this workforce, but not enough influx. So what are some of the ways that you think that can be remedied? And what has IC Squared done to help alleviate this crunch? Well, we've done a number of things. So first is through our Safe and Secure Online program where we go into schools, our members volunteer time to go in and teach parents, kids, and school administrators how kids can be safe online. That's an opportunity that we've now expanded to, to make them aware of cybersecurity, to make them aware of it's, a, it's a, an exciting profession. So at least we can start the dialogue with them at a very young age and uh, talk about trying to reach the hearts and minds of children very young and try to encourage them into the profession and then follow that with working with high schools on secondary schools to develop curriculum that can go into schools. Now, of course, once we develop the curriculum, we need to have teachers that are capable of actually delivering that curriculum. So um, so that's that's another challenge is trying to reach them as young as we can and then continue to do what, what, what India is doing here and what other countries are doing is uh, academia now understands that they need to be developing cyber-related uh, security, uh, cyber software, infrastructure, you know, information security uh, curriculum. So if we can create this path of getting them interested, reaching them and getting them uh, initial training in secondary school having a path where they come into university. And then where ISC Squared really plays a good role and we're seeing complementary role is that there was a time where it was formal education versus certification. Well, now more universities and colleges understand that when they leave campus, going into a professional certification um, like an ISC Squared certification guarantees that there's going to be commitment to lifelong learning because there's continual professional education that's required each year. Uh, and so, you know, doing that try to gives this whole kind of cradle, cradle to retirement if you will, um, perspective of trying to get people interested. And, you know, there, there are differing challenges that we have there. Um, in the United States, we have a real challenge in getting people or are young interested in STEM, you know, science, technology, uh, engineering, mathematics. And so that's not necessarily the case in Asia, yet we still see that even with the, with the interest here in Asia that the young have, we're still not getting them into the profession. And I think the delta there really is, is there's just not a robust 
academic level, you know, the universities and colleges are just now starting to develop these cybersecurity programs so that they have an option once they get into university to actually train and come out and enter the workforce. Right. So I, I think it was you who said this, that most of the innovation in the security space is happening on the side of the bad guys. So every time you come up with some kind of a defense to you know protect your assets better, they find a way around it. So Yeah, I, I don't believe that was me, but I, I mean, I'll definitely speak to that. Yeah, the, the bad actors are highly innovative to find, uh, you know, for, for every piece of technical convenience that's out there to help the average citizen consumer take advantage of technology, the bad actors seem to find ways to spin that as an attack vector. And, you know, we talk about the attack surface just continuing to expand and this massive proliferation of IP types of devices with the projections out there of how many of these devices and almost technology becoming ubiquitous, even even in developing countries, where developing countries have taken a jump. They never went to that intermediary. You know, some developing countries don't have copper cable plants for their telecommunications, they jump straight to wireless. And so the bad actors uh, find ways to exploit the conveniences that people want to have in the technology. And then we come in as a profession and we start trying to harden those things, sometimes ticking customers off because it's not quite as easy to use or we want strong passwords or uh, we're seen as as, uh, taking the fun maybe away from these consumer products. But by the same token, we have a responsibility to try to defend against the bad actors. The other mistake we make is that we see the latest and greatest tool, but the average company can't afford some of these tools. And so, you know, it's easy to say they've got the latest and greatest tools out here, but you have thousands and thousands of companies out there just scratching and clawing just to have some semblance of a perimeter security posture for their organization. So, you know, another thing that strikes me, and when I was leading with that question, is like, if you have so much innovation happening, the bad guys never seem to be short of talent, right? So when that seems to be happening, there's obviously this need for a security professional to constantly keep reskilling to meet that kind of that new vector that's come up or that new skill that's needed to remain relevant in this environment. So what are your recommendations to a security practitioner? How What is the best way to stay relevant? Well, I think that's where I alluded to earlier that there's a complementary effect here of formal education and certification. And I think, you know, as ISC squared, we have, you know, close to 110,000 members um, and uh, we require continual professional education, but we need to do more that really necessitates uh, or or has hard requirements of specific topics that when we see trends in the industry, we go back and refresh people and say, okay, we've seen these happen before. They still continue to happen out there. SQL injections, the typical things we talk about over and over again, make sure that we're refreshing people that say, you need to look through your infrastructure and make sure that these holes are closed and getting people collaborating and information sharing of what uh, the types of attacks are taking place out there. But it's extremely hard because most of the people in the profession are heads down fighting the good fight every day and there's only only so many hours in the day for people to try to continue to keep their skills up and a lot of times they're really learning on the job and on the job skill training isn't necessarily a bad way to go about it hope you're not having compromises to your organization but i think staying in the profession staying as hands-on as you can if that's your role if your role is to be an expert in hands-on forensics or or auditing or penetration testing or secure applications making sure that you're never satisfied 
satisfied with, with your craft. You're constantly honing your craft, finding periodicals, combing the web, staying within the news and finding out what's happening in that unique discipline that's changing and continuing to try to adapt. Um, but, you know, you have a you have a, this element that I kind of compare to cancer, right? You know, that, that it's a, a cancerous element out there that, that looks to exploit people, looks to exploit convenience, you know, and, uh, and that's highly uh, uh, challenging for people to try to anticipate all the ways people will try to take a, a convenient item and, and spin it to doing something bad or something that's harmful or for their own gains. As a CEO of IC Squared, you've probably seen a lot of this conversation happen about skill building, capacity building, mm-hmm. and security, things like that. You're aware of the Indian program, the Cybersecurity Task Force, which ostensibly looks at increasing, improving the the level of information security professionals here, and you know, kind of increasing the quanta of people in this profession. What is your assessment of how well it's going to work? What do you see happening? Well, I, you know, I, I think it's hard for us to say. Do we know exactly how it will work? But I think there are some models. I think we have some empirical data that says that there's a strong likelihood it can work if you look at what's happened in the United States with, uh, within, uh, for example, the 8570 standard within the Department of Defense had a huge ripple effect, not just through the military sector, but through the private sector, because it required people working on specific military contracts to have certain certifications for different types of skill sets. So that has a ripple effect to every company that's doing contracts with the with the military, the U.S. military, is now skilling their people up. They're now getting certified in those things. And then they move to jobs where they're now in, in, in the private sector and not doing anything with the DOD. But those organizations start to follow and hear about what's happening within and the government requiring certain certifications. And I think that's a really strong way. It sends a message to academia to the, that they need to be skilling up and, and providing training and education. It sends a message to certification bodies like I C squared and, and other certification bodies that they need to be coming up with uh, with solutions to help them um, meet the bar that I mentioned that you know the DoD in the U.S. required through an 8570 standard that there would be various industry certifications that they would accept for different skill set jobs and they map that you would have these are a range of certifications that they're going to require you're going to need to have one of them they didn't just pick out one they tried to be fair and equitable looking across available certifications that were, were in the market uh, and by doing that they raised awareness that information security is important so much so that uh, they're not going to let you work on various things unless you can demonstrate that you have some competency and that's where certification comes in from an experiential from a knowledge standpoint so I think when government-led types of initiatives they have a they have a big impact because they're they're perceived by a lot of people as trying to lead the way and that's what we need we need strong leadership and at the government level I think it can make a big difference so I would I'm I'm optimistic that I think the task force can be successful I know that they'll make it's going to be a they're going to make more of a difference than if there were no task force raising awareness okay David last question So if I were to ask you today, what is the one thing about security today that really concerns you? Well, it is the the deficit of talent, and I'm more concerned about it because I just look at the numbers and, and, and seeing that we're so short um, of new people coming into the industry, it worries me more because there's no short-term fix. It's going to take a long-term commitment, and it's going to take years to start to really see the numbers that we need in the workforce. We have to hope that we can move fast enough so that as people start to retire, uh, that we have those people there to be able to, to fulfill those functions. And, and automation may help 
may help stem that, but I just don't see it happening in the near term. So we have a real problem that we need to come together. Academia needs to come together with industry and certification bodies. We need a full court press to figure out how we can attract the young, great minds that that have been, you know, almost with technology since you know since they were were basically children, babies. How can we take that and harness that type of interest in technology and let them be the next? White hats coming into the workforce that help us defend against the bad actors. So I take a point. You know, you have uh, people, less people coming in, more people going out. The demands always going up. The lack of talent is obviously one issue. The second I would like you to comment on is what is the challenge that's going to face this community from a threat perspective? If you if you take a forward-looking view. Yeah, I think um, you know we we use in the industry a lot the term convergence, right? And and so you know we long for a long time you know we talked a lot about operational technology, kind of the industrial control systems and IT convergence. But really what we're seeing is the convergence of every engineering discipline because the products that we have now essentially have embedded systems that have software, they have controllers, they have hardware. The, the next wave of the generation, they're going to see technology embedded in virtually everything we do. And as that happens, the bad actors are going to continue to find yet more ways to exploit the technology. And so um, there's going to be a vast countermeasure requirement that these young great minds are going to have to take on. And um, gosh, we have to hope that, that they're up to the task. And I think as, as the older generation, we need to be trying to lay the groundwork so that they can be successful. We have to do everything we can to, to make sure that they're they're in the pipeline to do that and have the, the training and the skills to be able to, to do what's necessary. Thanks so much, David, for those great insights. You're welcome. That was David Shearer, CEO at IC Squared for ISMG Asia. This is Varun Haran. Thanks for listening.